0: Check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. All are welcome. No dress code is necessary. The only requirement is that you go out of your way to do something nice for a complete stranger, at least once this week. Starting off with the call to action right now, folks. Also, thanks for joining us, and welcome to the latest edition of A Toast to the A-Town, presented here on the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm your host, Andre Aldrich. It was a short work week for the Atlanta Hawks as they split a pair of games, beat the Raptors, and lost to the Bucks. More on that action in a moment, plus some great work surrounding another Sunday matinee affair for our side. But first, the little business. Basketball season won't be around forever, so get in on all of the action now with DraftKings, the leader in one day fantasy sports. DraftKings is giving new players a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Claim your free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes when using code TBPN during sign-up. Baseball fans, you may have missed out on season-long fantasy, so now is the time to get in on all the daily fantasy action where DraftKings has even more ways to make it rain. With DraftKings, payday comes every day for players, so what are you waiting for? Head to the app now. Download the DraftKings app now and use the code TBPN during sign-up this week. DraftKings is putting you in the action with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. That's code TBPN, and you can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Now back to the lecture at hand. And just like the previous Monday, the Hawks will start a second consecutive work week as the Eastern Conference's fourth best team, albeit their 31-26 mark was identical to the New York Knicks record. New York taking advantage of a Lonzo Ball defensive lapse on Sunday to get to overtime against New Orleans before winning that game in the extra session. And just a half game behind us and New York, well, the Celtics, who will go to work Monday evening at home against the Bulls. Boston beat Golden State on Saturday. So obviously, with 15 games remaining for the Hawks, every game matters. And with a return to the playoffs clearly at the front of mind for all of us, attention to things that are hard, important, and maybe not headline-worthy are still crucial. A few things we can put in that bucket, defense, rebounding, and attention to detail. With those thoughts, we've got the perfect former Hawk to talk to a little bit later, Now, he wasn't necessarily a headliner, but he's one of just eight Hawks in franchise history to reach the 10,000-point plateau with us. 10,582 to be exact. Board work, he's number three all-time there. 7,332 rebounds. Man, that's in an Atlanta Hawks uniform. I am, of course, talking about Hawks icon and pride of Michigan State, Kevin Willis. Yes, sir. Now, in addition to what he did for us, which was a lot, Kevin went on to play in the NBA for an unbelievable 21 years. That puts him second all time for seasons played alongside a barbershop quartet of familiar names. Robert Parrish, Kevin Garnett, and Dirk Nowitzki also played 21 seasons. Ironically, Kevin Willis was a member of the Toronto Raptors when the man at the very top of the seasons played list was a rookie. That guy who wrapped up his 21st and 22nd seasons here in Atlanta Well, none other than Vince Carter. Of course, you know who that was, right? So I will talk to Kevin about Half Man, Half Amazing, also about that incredible playoff shootout between Dominique Wilkins and Larry Bird from the perspective of someone actually on the floor at the same time of that 1988 piece of NBA history. And he's the perfect person to get thoughts on the importance of what Clint Capella is doing in his role as a current NBA big man. Matter of fact, Let's speak on Capella now. I'm not the only one that's been singing his praises all season, but consider this for just a minute, okay? Before taking the floor at State Farm Arena on Sunday, he'd gone on a nine-game stretch that was beyond noteworthy. First off, he had nine straight double-doubles. Now, it didn't take me three seconds to say that last sentence, but please don't let that devalue the weight of someone getting nine straight double-doubles under any circumstance. However... Let me also add this. By shooting at least 60% from the floor at each one of those games, with that parameter, Capella's streak was the fifth longest in NBA history. Wilt Chamberlain, Charles Barkley, and Rudy Gobert had double-doubles in 10 straight games while shooting 60% or better in each one. And for good measure, Wilt also had an 11-game streak of that double-double number. Okay, good news, bad news moment here. Good news is the Hawks beat the Pacers. Now, they jumped out to a 20-point first-quarter lead, but this being the NBA, of course, Indiana tied the game with four minutes left at 107 apiece. Well, that meant the Hawks had to get strong, and they did. They were strongest at the end. Now, the bad news is that the streak came to an end for Clint Capella, but good Lord, it was not for a lack of trying. Clint finished with 24 rebounds to go along with his 25 points. It was the second 2020 game of the season for him and the 10th of his career. Now, I won't forget that he blocked three shots, too. But back to the stats streak we started with. You see, Capella was 10 of 17 from the floor against the Pacers. And that means he only shot 59% from the floor, which just barely ends that part of his double-double run. And here's the rub. He could care less. He shot 59% because he was out there competing. Now, with just over nine minutes to go in the game, and the outcome definitely in question, well, the Hawks led 98-92. to 92. Action starts happening around the Pacers' basket. As Capella is surrounded by multiple opposing jerseys, he repeatedly grabs offensive rebounds but misses the follow shot in traffic. Still, he's determined to get the basketball. So during the sequence, he grabs four offensive boards before converting on his fourth attempt to put the Hawks up 100-92. And while those three misses hurt the shooting percentage, well, his only focus was to somehow get the ball again and attempt to put it in the basket. Big picture, the Hawks picked up a crucial victory, doing no small part to the continued work of Clint Capella. You like the plus-minus category? Well, a game-high plus 25 for Capella in the win. Trey Young is a headliner, 34 points and 11 assists for him. Most important for Trey, late-game efficiency, when it mattered the most at the offensive end. And he continues to work through calf issues that sidelined him for a couple of games. And for the first time in nine games, John Collins returned to the floor as he tried to find his way in getting 21 minutes of work. The Hawks are not where they need to be health-wise, but the key now is to not only reach the playoffs for the first time in three years, but to finish sixth or better to avoid the seven to 10 play-in tourney that we spent a good deal of time on a few episodes ago. All right, now, as we continue on with episode 12 of Toast to the A-Town, you already know, it's the part where everybody says, Andre, this is, you know, no offense to you, but it's the best part of the episode, when you do eventually get to the invited guest. And really, once again, for this episode, it's someone who really needs no introduction. But we're going to keep it official, and you can't understand the dedication, the heart, and the hard work to just make it in professional sports, to get your name in that NBA book, or an MLB box score for one year of service. Well, imagine doing that for two decades or 21 years of service. And to be honest, 23 years, if we include the two seasons, lost completely to injury. It's unbelievable. So um, when we talk about the history of the Atlanta Hawks, we talk about the foundation and one of the icons. You have to put yourself in the mind of defense, rebounding, and toughness. So I'm very happy right now to bring in a Michigan State man, but really an Atlanta icon as we say hello and thanks for coming in to former Hawk Kevin Willis joining us now. Kevin, thanks for joining us here on a Toast to the A-Town.
1: Hey, and Andre. Thanks, man. Appreciate it, man. Always a pleasure uh, speaking with you, man, and seeing you and, uh, through these crazy times. And um, let's do it. Let's, let's make it happen.
0: All right. So you got to have a big man in the house. So it's always good to have that going on. Let me take you back a little bit, Kevin, because before you get here, you're doing your thing there at Michigan State. Sparty is represented, obviously. So what were your thoughts coming here to Atlanta?
1: Well, you know, just just being able to get drafted, um, I really didn't have my mind set on what particular team it was going to be. I spoke to several teams uh, out in Hawaii, and um, Atlanta was definitely interested, very interested, um, fully engaged. And they told me that um, I would, you know, I'll be their first pick. And um, I was very excited about it until it happened. Then once they did it, it was like, it's for real now. And um, that's when it all started.
0: So coming here, you come into a squad. Tree Rollins was the big man. Tree had been playing here for seven years. Dominique had two years on the books. Our friend Mike Stinger-Glenn was also a vet on that squad. So as you step in, how are you welcome as the young whippersnapper?
1: Like a like a rookie, treated like a rookie, but um and I, I you know, being young not to know what to expect, I kind of followed some of what the veterans were doing from tree to Scott Hastings, Doc, uh Whitman, all these guys, Cliff Levingston, and um and sort of picked my moments until we we got through every we got through the preseason. And once we made that first initial visit to the opposing teams, you know, I had to get through all the teams on the East Coast, West Coast, all over. And once I got through every team, things became a little bit more easier because I I saw how players would play, who was physical, what division was more physical, less physical, who had the most toughness, who had the most skill level. And over time, you begin to, you know, figure things out. And once you figure it out, you get comfortable. Now I'm starting to develop within myself with confidence, um, knowing that I belong here. Uh, the work ethic was unmatched. And all I had to do is keep working, keep working. And um, I, I knew that things would happen for me.
0: You talk about that work ethic. And obviously, there was a physicality to the game. You coming in there your rookie year, 1984-85, that uh, – is definitely loads different from what it is now. Right. You end up starting 19 games, but you play in all 82. So how big was that physicality difference coming into the NBA from Michigan State in 84?
1: Well, the Big Ten was known for being very, very physical. So I kind of took my my beating in, in, through the Big Ten until I established and set the tone myself. And then when I got to the league, it was just the guys were just bigger. They were faster, they were stronger, they were they were grown men. And I knew I had to A, I had to get stronger, um, I had to become more tougher mentally. And after that, it was like it's just a matter of time before I become one of the one of the strongest guys in the league. And um and so I took my meetings from my beatings from Moses and and uh Maurice Lucas and Darryl Dawkins and I mean I can go on and on Buck Williams and I mean I can just keep going and going but um but those guys
0: They're not cutting you any slack because you're a young guy or you're a rookie. You're getting full Moses Malone. You're getting full Buck Williams yeah. you're getting full Maurice Lucas yeah all,
1: all the time and but now it was time for me to step up to the plate and say you know what um we're gonna be like two two bulls we're gonna we're gonna ram 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 horns all night long and that took time to do that because one you have to gain their respect and then two i had to get stronger and but they taught me some of the little the ins and outs the tricks the things to do and um and then on top of that I had to you know stay within myself to try to learn more and more about the game of basketball how to 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 get the Position myself to be effective on the off- offensive end and the defensive end. So it was a uh, every night it was it was work. You got to put the hard hat on.
0: You know, it's interesting too as we're dealing with the COVID right now and things being so different. You know, rookies uh, complain about some of the duties they have now, and you know, having to go get towels or you know, taking care of vets after games. It's minuscule compared to what rookies used to have to do back in the day. So my first question. What were some of your rookie duties? And did your fellow rookie Antoine Carr share in those rookie activities?
1: Oh, yeah, we definitely shared it. It it was um, a lot of going and getting either newspapers, um, carrying the balls, carrying bags, taking the stuff off the bus when we land late at 2 or 3 in the morning in a different city, um, bringing breakfast, um, just a whole I mean, just a whole entree of things that we had to do. But going through my, my, I had to fight some guys too. We actually had to, you know, guys would try to test me. Two guys try to wrestle me or, or or jump me. It could be Sly Williams or it was Dominique or it was whomever it was. and then. But that was short-lived. That was very short-lived. Now nah, they knew after a while, nah, we're not going to tussle
0: with him no more. As we get to year number two, though, and as I said, you played every game of your rookie season. Kevin, your second year, you start 59 games, in addition to playing every game of the season. So did your strength also improve as your workload increased? Yeah,
1: it definitely um, improved because I was relentless during the course of the summer. I wanted to get better. I wanted to start. And once I commanded that position, and so that required me to work hard, stay focused. and do what I had to do to to maintain a a higher level of play and to lock down that position and fall forward.
0: So we've got that going. Your blueprint, and we're talking about the beginning of your NBA career, and obviously there's a mindset you put to it, but Kevin, even post-career, and from the time you left the NBA as a player, and again, when I reached out to you on the phone, of course you were leaving the gym. Yes. You look physically, even at your age right now, Like you could go get us 15 rebounds and defend the smaller centers that are out there now. So what was it about your mindset? Because I don't care. What you were doing during your career, there has to be times now where you're like, hey, I don't feel like going to the gym today. I don't feel like doing this. What is it about Kevin Willis that says, no, this has to be a lifestyle. This is what I'm going to continue to do to take care of my body. This is my temple. This is important to me my entire life.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely a lifestyle. I've always, before I got to the, the league, I, I just knew that I was blessed to be able to be seven foot, um, being able to be a, the athleticism, to run, to jump, things like that. All I had to do was incorporate the game of basketball and improve.
0: As I said, we know that everything is regimented as a pro, regimented when you're playing in the NBA and stuff but you're in shape now that looks like playing shape long after your career is over. What is your mindset? Because it can't be easy.
1: No, it's not, it's not, it's not hard either. Because for me today to go to the gym and work out, it's like if I'm getting ready for training camp on the scale of one to 10. Now I go to the gym, I'm, I'm, I'm in there working out like at a, at a seven or eight level, you know, opposed to, you know, ten to twelve level, um, because I don't have to compete anymore. But it's just the mindset that I've adopted to. I've become accustomed to doing, and I just do it like I've always done it. And um, because I like to maintain the the the, the physicality, I like the helps me by far by mentally anything I do in life. This this part of it helps that in the in the in a huge way. But just the physicality of it, going working out, make you feel better, make you feel good, look good. That that's what it's about, and um it does. Just, it works. It works miracles with the psyche mentally.
0: Kevin, the fact that our game isn't as physical as it has been in the past. Do you think that guys could benefit from that now? And I mean, we're looking at 15 games remaining in the regular season, and again, for our Hawks who haven't been in the playoffs for three years, so we have guys right. that. You know, our core, obviously, Trey Young has never been in a playoff game. We have guys that don't know what it's going to be like to, to get to that next level, to understand mm-hmm. you got to go another level and a level above that in the postseason. Do you think physicality would help that in today's game?
1: I think so. But, you know, when you look at all the the, the top teams in the league right now, the physicality is really not there. It's just we just play, run, gun, shoot, what we're going to do. And you may have a couple of bumps here and there, but nothing where you got to be like, man, tomorrow night, just be prepared that they coming at us and they're coming at us hard. It's not like that really too much now. So um, I think, but if they can incorporate that mindset that we're going out, set the tempo of this game, I think that'll help them a lot because they have a, a, a very, very good team. The caliber of talent, the level they have, the athleticism they have, um, guys that can put the ball in the basket, um, guys that can defend around the basket. That's um those are key things that's gonna, you know, they need to elevate once that, pl- that playoff uh starts.
0: And as we look at what we're doing now, and and look, obviously you have the human highlight film with you, and I'm not putting Trey on that level yet. He's just getting started. But he is right. the guy that gets all the shots, and for the right. Hawks to be successful, Clint Capella has to continue being successful, continue to get double doubles like it's easy, like it's me going to Krispy Kreme, right? That's just right. part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you watch him as a defender, as a rebounder, how does Clint impress you, or compare to the current bigs?
1: Well, I think his his mindset—he knows what he's where his strength lies at, and that is around the basket being that defender, getting those offensive boards, tap-ins, waiting for the alley-oop, playing close by the basket, doing things that make him a better player and makes the team much better, um, and playing within himself. I think he has the the height, the length, the desire to be that defender that they need in the middle, and everything else is just like bonuses. And When you get 16, 18 points, Um, you block five or six shots, uh, you're getting key rebounds, you're making guys change up their shots, making guys think about coming through the paint, trying to dunk. That's that's used for a team like Atlanta.
0: Well, nobody complains about workload publicly. That's just not what being a pro is all about. And I bring that up because John Collins has been here for a while, obviously, and to me has done everything asked of him. But my question for you as a big, Kev, Obviously, as John deals with his current ankle injury and and great that he got limited duty against the Pacers on Sunday, Capella had to work without him for nine games. So can you think back to times in your career, even though you have the headliner like Dominique or a scorer on your squad, you still got to do what Kevin's supposed to do each and every night. And that may not be the headline thing, but that's very important. What's it like when you lose another big that's just as important to that success or that big isn't at 100 percent? Well,
1: I remember a time um, when Nick tore his Achilles. And, you know, at that time, I think I was the second leading scorer on the team. So I had to, you know, get more on the scoring side, plus steal, rebound, plus play more defense, things like that, because my, my, my guy wasn't next to me. So it's, it's it's challenging, but mentally, I was just prepared for anything. And as a as a unit, as a team, we knew we had everybody had to step up, not just me, everybody on the team. The guys who didn't play had to step up and you had to come in and give everything you had, whether one minute or 20 minutes, you had to come in and give it. So I just took my game to another level. It's like we have to make up all these points that we're going to be missing right now, because obviously because Nick's not going to be here. And I believe every guy on that team did that.
0: Hey, you bring up that tandem there. So let's go back to the playoffs since I brought up the postseason. And I'm going to take you back to May 22nd, 1988. And for Hawks fans, that's something we'll never forget. And that's a shootout between Dominique and Larry Bird. Game seven in Boston. Right. Bird with a 20-point fourth quarter on his way to 34. Neek with 47 points. You're on the floor for that. You're there as a competitor. But you're also taking part in history. As you look back and reflect, and what was it like then for you, Kevin? Well, at that moment, it was
1: it was such a a gratifying, unbelievable moment because that was the team that kept us away from the playoffs. That was the team that would win championships. That was the team had all the the four you know all stars uh, at any given year on the team, and we knew in order for us to get to where we need to get, we had to get through Boston. And we, we gave them the uh, probably the best seven-game series that the NBA, have, NBA has seen. And that duel with Larry and Dominique, it was just unbelievable because as players, we find ourselves becoming like, uh, like a, a fan. We were watching the show even though we were on on the court. And we knew we had to either rebound, get the ball in Nick's hand and let this, because he was, he was literally on fire and we got to let him keep doing what he's doing in order for us to get, have a chance to knock Boston out. And we had the lead on these guys and we should have ended it in Atlanta, but the lack of experience, um, them having, you know, obviously Larry and Mikhail and Parrish and Ainge and DJ and all those guys, they just knew that hey, we've been here, done this. These guys are just happy to to be in this series like this, and um, and unfortunately we ended up going games, in the seven, losing game seven, but it was a it was a learning. I think it was a, a educational. It was it was a learning um, curve for us. And I honestly believe if we would have kept that team together and came back the following year, Boston wouldn't have had a chance. But they broke it up, and after that, it crumbled.
0: Let's talk about breakups. And as I mentioned, to play for two decades in the NBA, that's just a ridiculous number. To come in as you did from Michigan State right. here in Atlanta, and at later points in your career to be the oldest player in the NBA and at the same time still be the most in shape player right. in the NBA, that's a blessing upon blessings. Yes. And among your stops, Toronto. Now, when the Raptors honored the 25th yes. anniversary of their birth, you were on hand for that celebration last year. Yes.
1: Yes. I mean, I love Toronto. I love the organization. Um, I love the team that was there. Since the two the two and a half years I was there, and um and and with Vince and Tracy being the the rookies and and the go to guys, the young energetic guys, I mean it was it was a, it was a it was a good time. And and still, I mean I was just there a year ago for the 20th year anniversary, and it was just a hell of an experience being back in the city, um, the growth, and what the team is doing, and what they've how they committed. Their fan base has just been. I'm amazing, nothing short of amazing.
0: Now, to be a part of the media in the ways and the different ways that I have, there have been moments in front of the camera or on a radio microphone or what have you that have been unbelievable to me personally. But I got to tell you, one of my biggest joys, in addition to watching Vince Carter's entire career, is for Vince to have ended up in Atlanta and for me to have known him all these years and to find out that old goody two shoes, Vince Carter, his rookie year was calling Kevin Willis, old man, relentlessly. That was your new name, from the rookie out of North Carolina. And for him to end up here in the A-Town as the old guy and for you to be a regular at our games, that was a joy for me to see. How was that for you, man? It
1: was It was. It was amazing. Um, and I told Vince that. I said, I remember him telling me in Toronto that um uh, called me the OG, um, old head all these things. And I used to tell him, I said, well, you better be, you better, you better pray that you play this long. And um, and they laughed and we have a good time with it. And then as I watched Vince, Vince's career evolve, I him do his thing, just spectacular. And then when he came here, I was just overjoyed because I think at that time he was probably going in his Seventeenth, well, eighteenth, nineteenth year, somewhere in there, and nineteenth year, no, but yeah, nineteenth or twentieth, and um, and I told him, I said, "Remember back when you was a rookie and, and we was in Toronto, and you called me old head and all that. Now you know how I feel. <laughs> now you know how I feel." And uh, we got a good laugh out of it, but I was I was truly proud of him. Um, who would expect bench to play twenty two seasons? um high flying as he was doing what he did all these years and to play 22 and i told him i said you know what it's a it's a blessing take it all the way as far as you go man if you can do it again do it again um but when it's time to give it up it's time to give it up but he had he had one of the one of probably one of the best careers i've ever seen
0: that's awesome man and the other thing that I loved about in, in dealing with him and watching him deal with the guys on our team, as he would say to his younger teammates, I'm not going to tell anybody what to do. I'll tell them how I do it and what works for me. And if they want to follow that lead, OK. Right. Now, I think about that. You know, we've got a uh, uh, here in Atlanta, when we think about Dominique Wilkins, we've got an interesting tie-in with the great San Antonio Spurs organization. Now, a lot of folks don't realize that Neek played for the Spurs toward the end of his career. Matter of fact, Dominique was on the team bus as they were about to head for a game when GM Greg Popovich got on, went to his normal seat, but told the players, I just fired Bob Hill and I'm the new coach. Neek said the players laughed and thought he was joking until the bus immediately pulled off. So I tie all of that together to ask, Kevin, what was your San Antonio experience from the day you got there?
1: I think, I think, um, even though in my heart, you know, being drafted from the, from the Hawks and, and whatnot, playing as long as I played, obviously it will always be in my heart. First and foremost, but the experience I had in San Antonio, I've never experienced in any organization. And I played with some great organizations, um, Uh, Houston, um, Toronto, uh, Miami, Dallas. I mean, I played with some great organizations. Um, But the thing with San Antonio, I believe, was that from – and I tell people this, you know, from time to time, that it wasn't just the players, the team, and the owners. It was the people who swept the arenas to the people who served the, the fans the fans organization the owners um it was everybody was a family everybody and i don't know it's because that's the only professional team there but everybody played a role and from pop to the owner everybody was like these people are responsible for what we do basically you know, they play a role, you know, and we can't overlook that. And um, and so with Popovich, I really respected the fact that Pop knew where I was in my career, but he saw something in me that could help them get through and pass the Lakers, whether it's the physicality, whether it's the athleticism, whether it's the ability to to compete, he saw that in me. And and more importantly, the attitude, the the love and respect and that camaraderie and the experience that I had could help their organization. And you know, Dre, when I when I when I look back at it and I watch them now and I look back at my my time when I was there, I say, you know what? These guys do it the right way that's why you see the golden state warriors playing the way the golden state warriors play uh steve Kerr knows what the deal is he understands and so he takes that and he carries that to golden state and because steve and i play together in san antonio and what a what an unbelievable person with an unbelievable player um and every player had their role they understood their role we knew who our our go-to guy was we knew who was, in, who was in second in line. We knew who third was in line. And everybody else plays a role. Everybody else plays within this organization, this structure. And I and I I exhorted like a sponge. And my first year when I got there, we went to a team meeting as a, a team organization. We went to the owner's house. And from that moment then, I went off on, on my own just to kind of get my head around all this and say my prayer and do my thing. And through my 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 moment of 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 peace and getting my you know my my, my mind around this, I, my prayer was that this is the year I'm going to win a championship. And that year we won the championship. And and that when it was all said and done, God came back to me and said, "I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna show you how." When I told you back before training camp that you was gonna win it. Every, 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 every round was 4-2 4-2, 4-2, 4-2, Yes. Yes, indeed. Jersey number 42. That's my, that's my number. And every round we won was 4-2, 4-2, 4-2, 4-2 championship. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was the indication that it was for real. And, and, I, and, and it's more to the story, but. In a nutshell, God said, I'm going to show you that I'm for real. And um, and he, and it, every round was 4-2-4-2. Four, two, four, two, and it was amazing. Ahmad Rashad, we went to Paris that following preseason. And Ahmad came up to me and said, man, you know what? Did you realize every round was 4-2-4-2? Four, two, four, two? I said, man, more than anybody you know. Don't nobody know it like me. Yeah. So it was a surreal moment. It was unbelievable part of my career. And um just the respect and the mutual respect that I have for Pop and his staff his organization, PJ Callissamo and all these guys, man, it was just it was just incredible, man. But I mean, I mean, come on, it was it was incredible, man. And um the players, Steve from from Smitty to um oh my god, I mean uh Stevie Claxton. All day long. Yes, sir. Yes indeed. Yeah. So but but Tim, Tony, and, and 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 David and and Mono, which is my favorite, my favorite player for I don't know, man. My God, Denobi, man. I'm a label player, man. So um, but it was, it was a great experience.
0: One final thing before I let you go, Kev, because again, I mentioned that you are Sparty. The degree from Michigan State is fashion and textiles. We know this about you in Atlanta. The fashion game has been part of you, to me, your entire life. But obviously, we see you here in town. We see you dressed. We see you dress, folks. But that goes back to Michigan State, I believe. So when was that seed put in your head that you're going to be in the clothing game like you have been since leaving the NBA and actually while you were still in it?
1: Well, coming through college, you know, you want, you want to be able to, you know, you're going to college and you want to dress up, but you can't dress up. You want to wear something cool because the girls are around. But being seven foot, that was a difficult, difficult task for me. It was sweatpants and and maybe a pair of pants, and you know I was in broadcast communication and broadcasting at one moment, and I something just hit me. I said, Nah, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I want to change. It. I, I think I have the voice for it. I can I can deliver it, but I'm not passionate about it. So I kind of gave it some time, and I said I want to get into the apparel business. I'm going to learn about textiles. And I flipped my major and changed it to fashion textiles, and next thing I know, I'm in I'm in big huge auditoriums talking about uh, textiles and design and the whole nine yards, and and I kept it, never looked back. And then when I got to the league, it was like, now you got to dress even more, you have to you have to be suited up. You gotta who wants who you want to be this fashion guy. This is what Magic is doing. This is what Jordan is doing. This is what this guy is doing. So it's like this is what Nick is doing. So it's like, um, I can do this and I can probably do it better than all of them. And, um, and, uh, and I, once I started, I said, hey, I got a built-in audience. I got 400 guys. We all share the same common thread. We can't find anything to fit. No fashion, no style, no selections, the wrong colors, things like that. And I, once I got into it, I said, I'll make these guys look and feel amazing. And that's been over 30 years.
0: That's awesome, man. Kevin, we appreciate you joining us here on a toast to the A-Town. And like I said, as fans are getting back into the arenas, and folks, we know you from your playing days, folks that follow the Hawks, always see you in attendance there at State Farm Arena. Wish you nothing but the best, man. Appreciate the time and look forward to having you here again soon.
1: Thank you. All right, Andre. Take
0: care, man. And folks, once again, my guests really always have the last word here. Not much I need to add at all. Kevin Willis stuck around the NBA as a player for 21 years, not just because he physically looks like Hercules or Adonis. He was also there because of incredible mind power, focus, and dedication. And as a previous guest said, good things happen to good people. So with that thought, as I suggested at the top of this episode, at least once this week, go out of your way to do something nice for a complete stranger. And if it doesn't also make you feel good, then you should never, ever listen to this podcast again. But I promise that it will. That's your assignment. And you can also make the choice to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. This is a Toast to the A-Town, presented by the Basketball Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us. I'm Andre Aldrich, and I will talk to you next time.